0: Good morning. How are we doing? How good was that this morning? This morning, um, how many know that position between like when you're awake and asleep and I'm not sure what it's called? Is it Twilight? Twilight? Anyway, this morning I was in that position, it was really early in the morning, the sun was nowhere had come up yet, and I was just sort of half waking up and just turning my affection towards the Lord about what He would have to say to me, what He would have to say to you this morning. And as I was just in this place of just hearing the voice of God, I heard a voice say this, what would you prefer to be squashed by? A hippopotamus or an elephant? And it was my son. And at two o'clock or three o'clock in the morning, Thomas is there, and he sort of half woke me out of this sleep, and he said, Dad, Dad, what would you prefer to be squashed by, a hippopotamus or an elephant? And I turned to him half-asleep, and I'm trying to work it out. What would I prefer to be squashed by? And as I'm half-asleep, I said, Thomas, what are you doing? And he's like, I, I just had to know the answer. And then he went and got back in bed. And so that was, that was where, where all my words of knowledge went. Um, and then I couldn't stop thinking about, what would I prefer to be squashed by? A hippopotamus or an elephant? I was feeling very confident this morning coming to church brand new haircut, until I spoke to Jean. She said, did you do that yourself? (laughs) And she was horrified when when I told her I actually paid for this. I paid $35, if you're wondering. How many know that you go to the barber, you ask for the same thing every time, this is what I do, and I come out with something different? Anyway, somebody said, what's the difference between a good haircut and a bad haircut? A week, is that right? So come next week. We're in a series on faith, and who's been getting out of the dang boat? Has anyone been getting out of the dang boat? If you remember two weeks ago, we were talking about getting out of the dang boat. And as I've been reading through the Bible and discovering this lifestyle of faith, I've come across a number of things in the Bible, in the New Testament, where Jesus actually was astounded by people's faith. There was a couple of moments in the scripture where he's actually astounded. He's actually um, marveled. It, 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 It literally knocks him over about the faith that he's seeing in people. And there's three people I can find in scripture where he says, Wow, I've never seen faith like this. Number one was a Roman centurion who came to Jesus and said, Hey, I think it was my servant is sick. And he just says, Hey, Jesus, you just say the word and it'll it'll be sorted out. And Jesus says, Wow, I've never seen faith like this. Number two, help me out. The other one. No, the other one. The issue of blood. Number two, who said that? Come on, free coffee. (laughs) <laughs> number two was it the woman who had a disease she had an issue uh, she, had a, uh, she was bleeding and she came to Jesus and she actually says actually she doesn't say anything she pushed through the crowd and she had so much faith and she just grabbed a hold of his garment of his cape <laughs> whatever he was wearing she grabbed the hold of it and in that moment when she grabbed it power left him and she was healed in that instant And he turns around and says a lot of things. But one thing he said is, wow, I've never seen faith like this. And number three, we're going to look at this morning. Number three is another woman who came to Jesus and he said, wow, I've never seen faith like this. Isn't it crazy that out of these three people that came to Jesus, two of them are women? All right, I'll just leave that there. This morning I'm going to do something different. I actually don't know if I've ever done this before. I'm going to give you three points. So I'm trialing new things with my haircut. And so, come on, you're getting a bit rowdy. If you've got your Bibles, if you can turn to Matthew chapter 15, verse 23. Matthew chapter 15, um, actually it's verse 21. And this, as a few people said, is this Canaanite woman. We start the story here in verse 21. It says, leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from the vicinity came to him crying out, "'Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. "'My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly.'" Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, "'Send her away, for she keeps crying out after us.'" He answered, "'I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel.'" The woman came and knelt down before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. There it is. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that very moment. There's a number of things that we can learn from this story as we move into great faith, as we move into increasing faith. How many know that the Lord is actually looking for men and women of faith? It's not a bad thing to be progressing in our journey with the Lord and wanting to increase our faith. This is actually the very thing that he commanded us to do. The scripture says that he gives everyone a measure of faith. That means everybody here has a measure of faith. We also know that he oftentimes gives us the gift of faith for certain particular things. But the important thing this morning is that everyone's received a measure of faith and we can all actually grow our faith. It's like a muscle. It grows with use. And there's a number of things we can learn from this passage in our quest for increasing faith. Number one. Number one is persistence. Persistence. The context of this passage is incredible. Here we have Jesus and his disciples, and up to this point, Luke says that everybody that came to Jesus was healed. He's been healing the sick. He's been casting out demons. He's been preaching the good news. He's been multiplying food. He's been doing all these crazy things. And how many know there's a lot of people that are following Jesus and his disciples? And in Mark's account of this same passage, it says that Jesus and his disciples, they tried to go privately into a room to get away from everyone. How many know that there's a lot of demands on Jesus' ministry? There's a lot of demands on him. He's been doing this stuff. Every time he heals someone, guess what they do? I doubt they just jump on an airplane and go to Bali. Although that would be amazing. But if I've been crippled all my life, if I've been blind all my life, if I've been deaf all my life, and all of a sudden someone comes and touches me and I'm totally healed, guess what? I'm not jumping on the next plane to get out of there. I'm going to follow Jesus for a period wherever he goes because this man has just transformed my life. And so not only were the crowds coming to him that had disease and that needed healing, but he had crowds of people that just were following him to hear his words, to celebrate the good things that he had already done. Crowds of people were attracted to Jesus. And in this passage, he needs a break. Well, this is what I think anyway. In Mark, it says that he wanted to get into a, he tried to sneak into a room, a house, without being seen. It's a crazy life of Jesus. Jesus. Not only does he have crowds after him, but he also has these Pharisees, these religious people that are hiding behind rocks, jumping out with clipboards with religious nonsense all the time, questioning him, trying to trap him. So there's demands on his time. And here he is in this moment, just wanting to have a break, just wanting to get some time by himself. And here we have this passage of scripture when this woman, this Canaanite woman comes to Jesus with a request. In the time of Jesus, the Pharisees, there was two things, the religious people, the Pharisees, there was two things that they did every morning when they got up and they prayed and they thanked God for two things. There might have been more, but it was at least these two things. They said, thank, thank God that I'm not a Gentile, which means thank, thank the Lord that they're, they're, they're Jewish. And the second one, when they said, was thank God I'm not a woman. Now, this sounds crazy now, but this is... And, and, and luckily, we don't have that same um, toxic value system today, but this is the way it was in Jesus' day. These are what the Pharisees would pray Every morning when they got up, thank God I'm not a Gentile and thank God I'm not a woman. And so the fact that this woman has actually come and found and tracked Jesus down and is trying to get in the same room as Jesus is incredible. It shows great persistence. There's a number of things this woman has to push past to get in the room with Jesus. There's discrimination, there's a, there's a cultural environment, a toxic cultural environment, there's shame, there's ridicule, all these things that she has to push through in that context, in that culture, to get a conversation with Jesus. In that day, it was actually illegal for a woman to actually speak to a rabbi. And here she is in this context, actually having it, trying to push in and have a conversation with Jesus, risking everything. Think about the obstacles up to that point, even just to get herself in the room with Jesus. Incredible. And we see here that after she's got through a heap of obstacles she finally has pushed through all these issues and she finally gets before Jesus and she cries out in mercy and what does he do? He doesn't answer her a word. He ignores her. Are you serious? After everything she's pushed through, potential shame, ridicule, discrimination in this culture, all these things, all these obstacles, and he does not say a word. He's silent. How many have experienced when God is silent? Maybe you're going through a a, a circumstance, a scenario in your life, and all of a sudden you need a miracle, you want God, you want God to speak to you, and all of a sudden all you can hear is crickets. It's silent. And when most of us would have packed up And left in this story, this woman knew something because she was persistent. And the silence was actually an invitation to get closer to Jesus in her eyes. I would like to propose this morning that if you're in a season and you're like, hey, I need the voice of God, I need Him to speak in this situation, I need the presence of God, and all of a sudden all you can, all you can feel is silence, I would like to propose this morning that that is an invitation to go deeper. That is an invitation to get closer. That's an invitation, like we see in this story, to not turn our back and leave, but actually push in. It says that the woman now, the next thing we see is she's on the feet before Jesus. He says nothing. He gives her nothing. And the next frame we see is she's down worshiping him. Because she knew one thing, persistence. I heard this quote the other day. It says, When there's a delay in answers to prayer, it's just gaining interest. Maybe this morning you are feeling like God is silent. I want to encourage you that in that moment, that's an invitation to go deeper, to come closer to worship him in that place. In Luke 18, this is a, a familiar passage about this persistent widow. And how many know the story when this widow actually wants justice? She goes to the judge and bangs on his door and says, hey, grant me justice. And he says, go away because he neither feared God or cared about what people thought. And she keeps coming back every day and banging on the door. And finally, he says, okay, I will see that justice is granted because of your persistence. But this is crazy. After Jesus tells his story, right at the end, he says, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? The connection between persistence and faith is huge. What he's saying here is, hey, I want you to be persistent. I want you to not give up. I want you to just keep banging, ask, seek, knock, and keep on asking and seeking and knocking. And then he says, after all this, he says, hey, when I return, will I find faith on the earth? The point is that there's a huge connection between persistence and great faith. There's a huge connection between persistence and increasing faith faith. A few years ago, um, a friend of ours was telling us about how he used to go and find wood in the forest. And it was over in America. And how many know that in America or other places in the world, if you don't get wood, um, you're going to freeze to death because of the snow. And so he would go out and he would find these logs in the bush and he used to go with another man who used to show him, an elderly man used to show him how to split logs. And so he would put the wedges in the logs and swing the sledgehammer and keep hitting them, keep hitting them, keep hitting them. And the first couple of times he was out here with this elderly man and as he was hitting to try and split the log after about 15 or 20 blows of seemingly nothing happening, he turned to him and said, how long do we have to do this for? And the elderly man looked over and said, until it splits. Until it splits. The Lord is looking for persistence. The Lord is looking for people that will keep doing the very thing that God has asked us to do and not stop when seemingly nothing is happening. We live in a fast food culture. And I love the fact here that we get to celebrate immediate miracles. And that is amazing and that is great. But what happens in the process? What happens in process? If we're going to have water-walking faith... We need to have persistence. We need to have persistence. Number two, was that good, Shane? Thank you. Number two, the second thing that we can learn from this passage of Scripture as we pursue great faith or increasing faith is we need to move past offense. We need to move past offense. Verse 26. Of our text says this, he replied, this is Jesus speaking. Jesus replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. How many know that Jesus wasn't the most diplomatic person around? Sometimes. How many know that, that, that you guys are fairly creative here? How many know that you could think of other ways that you could say to this woman that wasn't so offensive? Here Jesus says, hey, it's not right for me to take the children's bread, the miracles for Israel, the provision, all the things for Israel, and give it to the dogs. In the original language, there's two words for dogs. One of them is this violent, ferocious dog that some of the Jews used to refer to as Gentiles. This word here from what we can understand, is not that word. It's actually like a puppy dog. Does that make you feel any better? Not really. It's still not the most endearing term. But the reality is Jesus is saying, hey, he could have said a lot of other things, but he chose to say this. I don't know why, but this is the point. This woman moved past the offence. She moved past even the lack of understanding. She moved past the offense, and she made a choice to put that to to side and to focus on Jesus. In that moment when she could have started a theological discussion, she could have told Jesus that she's not, the other, she's not like the other Canaanites. She could have had all this dialogue going on to justify the, the thing that Jesus had said, which maybe was incorrect in her circumstance. The point is that she pushed all that aside and she came even closer to Jesus. How often do we, see, we receive a revelation from God and then we have contradicting circumstances? I'll give you an example. Let's say that the Lord has called you to see healthy families, dysfunctional families restored. Maybe you feel like there's a calling. Maybe you feel like, hey, this is what the Lord particularly wants me to step into. See see, strongholds over families broken. See kids healthy. See marriages restored. And once you receive that promise, guess what? You're probably the one with the kids that are running mayhem, havoc. The Lord often, when he gives us a revelation, we have Conflicting circumstances. In this moment, this woman made a decision. She said, I can either feed my questions or my lack of understanding which could undermine the revelation, or she said, I can push past that and just get close to Jesus. What she did in that moment, she made a choice. Even though she might have had questions, but she made a choice to not let the, the, let the questions undermine the revelation of Jesus. Jesus. How many know when we're living in a faith culture we're believing like we did this morning for miracles? There's some things we don't understand. There's many people in this room that have been praying for things and believed God and didn't see the promise. What happens when we do everything we can and we believe for healing we don't see the outcome we want. We don't see the breakthrough we're anticipating. What happens when it's actually really close to home and it's a family member? What happens when it's not just a a sore headache but what happens if it's cancer or a terminal illness? And that person Passes away, they die. What about if we've done everything we know how to do? (laughs) Drop it in a bucket of water. What about if we've done everything we can? What about if we've done practically everything we can and we can't see the breakthrough, we didn't see the breakthrough we wanted? What about if we had 100% faith and we didn't see the breakthrough? Sometimes we can get caught in questions, it's not that questions are wrong, but sometimes we can get caught in offence, we can get caught in the the fact that we don't understand, and it can actually lead us away. I would like to propose that you can't have your offence and the closeness with God at the same time, you have to choose, and sometimes we're choosing even though we don't understand, When we don't see the healing come, it's not a problem on God's end. We can't blame Him because we know that 2,000 years ago, He made every provision to see all sin, all sickness, and all torment defeated. There's not one bit of payment that He didn't make for that to happen. And when we've done everything we can and we don't see the outcome we're after, And even more importantly, we don't see the outcome that Jesus saw in Scripture. What do we do? Because so often it's easy to create a theology about what hasn't happened or what God hasn't done. But I'd like to propose this morning that it's part of living in mystery where we don't understand. We have the potential to be offended. We have the potential to to, to journey through stuff that we have no clue about. But we actually, like this woman, we push past that and we get closer and we get deeper before the Lord. There's something about living with mystery that builds our faith. There's something about living with things we don't understand, offence and lack of understanding, that even though we don't have a clue sometimes, we step forward and we go deeper, and that's what builds great faith. If we want the peace that surpasses our understanding, then sometimes we need to give up our right to understand. There's something about living with mystery that builds great faith. I encourage you this morning. If there's not an opportunity for you to be offended right now, there will be. But I encourage you to push past the offense, push past the lack of understanding, lean into mystery, and just trust God. Number three. Great faith accesses things reserved for another season and brings them into the present. Let me say that again. Great faith has access to things reserved for another season and brings them in to the present. I couldn't find another shorter way of saying that. In verse 24, this is what Jesus says. He says, "I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel." Was what he was saying, was that correct? Absolutely. We know throughout Old Testament prophecies that everything was prophesied about Jesus coming, the Messiah coming, in the context of the Jewish people. Everything was in the context that that Jesus the Messiah would come and he would actually restore the relationship with God. I might ask if the if the worship team can come up, but there was no denying that in this season Jesus was sent pr- primarily to Israel, to the Jewish people. We know in John three sixteen this famous verse that God so loved the world that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, like. He loves the whole world, we know that, like everyone. But in this moment, primarily Jesus was coming for the Jews. And here in this moment, there's a woman who's not Jewish. How many know that about a decade or two later, in, in the middle of the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit's actually poured out in the Gentile, on the Gentiles? They come to salvation, they come to relationship, they receive the Holy Spirit. But this is like one or two decades later. And here in this season, Jesus is saying, Hey, I haven't come to the Gentiles. You see what great faith, increasing faith does. It so moves the heart of God that something that was meant to happen in the future can actually pulled into the present. This miracle that this woman believed for, even though maybe the will of God wasn't for it to happen for a few decades, she actually pulled, the faith so pulled on something of the heart of God that a miracle actually happened in that time. Let me say it this way without great faith, the woman would not have had access to the miracle. I find this fascinating as well because in John, I think it's John chapter 2, when Jesus is starting his ministry, actually, before he's even started, he goes to a wedding. And the worst thing that could ever happen happens. They'd run out of wine. I'm not actually being funny. In that context, they they couldn't just open another keg. That was the worst thing that could happen in that context was them to run out of wine. And there was another woman who had great faith. It was actually Jesus' mother, Mary. Mary. And she comes to him and basically says, hey, what are you going to do about this? Do you know what his reply is? He said, my time has not yet come. What that means is he hasn't been released into miracles, signs and wonders into his ministry. He says to him, my time has not yet come. And what does she do? She goes to the servants privately and says, hey, go do whatever he says to do. There was something about her faith that so moved the heart of God that something that wasn't a miracle that wasn't even meant to happen in that day actually happened because of faith. There's a lot of theology around this and I don't want to dive too deep into it because I I don't have the answers but the point that we we cannot miss this morning is that great faith actually pulled something that was reserved for future into the now. That's what we can't deny. And we know the ending that the servants did what Jesus did and an amazing miracle happened that was never meant to happen in that time. If you can, could you just stand this morning as we finish up? What does great faith, what does increasing faith look like for us now? This is what I believe it looks like. This is part of what it looks like. Is it when the rest of the nation is seeing small to medium church growth, Is it possible? Is it possible that there would be a people that gather together with increasing faith that actually pull something in a future realm into the now? Could it be possible that revival, the outpouring of God that is reserved for a future time could actually be pulled here now? I believe it is, but it's not going to happen unless we increase our faith. Is it possible that the workplace that you're in that's been hard for the gospel, is it possible that because of your increasing faith, that you actually just believe God and you pull something that was reserved for the future, and you say, hey, that outpouring of God that maybe is going to come in 5, 10, 15, 20 years, I believe God to see something happen now. Or maybe in your marriage, and you've seen, maybe in your family, there's generations of dysfunctional marriage, of divorce, of separation. And you say, hey, I'm going to believe the God, God, increasing faith that He's going to change us around in my generation, right now in my marriage, that I'm not just going to go on and, 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 and see the results of what's happened in the past and the future. What would it look like if we so increased in our faith, in great faith, that we actually saw things happen here that we were, we're not seeing anywhere else? Not so that we can get another notch on our Bible, not so that we can get some more likes on Facebook, but that so Jesus can be glorified so that we can actually step into the very things that Jesus did. When I read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I cannot deny that Jesus came to set the captives free. He came to bring deliverance. He came to bring freedom. He came to heal the sick. How do we step into everything we read in this book? I believe a huge way that we do that is by increasing faith. Years ago, we were in Mizoram and we were staying at a a really nice motel. It was Jared, Stuart, Shane, and myself. And the food was amazing there. And the great thing is, it was really cheap. And I think we said at the beginning of the trip, hey, let's just eat, order whatever we want and at the end we'll just divide it by four. That's how cheap the food was. But there was one thing on the menu that myself and Shane wanted every day and it was an apple pie. pie. It was written on the menu and every day we asked the kitchen, can we please have the apple pie? And they said no. It's not available. And I think we were there a week or two, maybe it was 10 days. And I wasn't even that fond of apple pies up to that point. But because it was there and we'd eaten everything else on the menu, we wanted the apple pie. And every day myself and Shane would say, we'll have the apple pie, please. Sorry, they would run into the kitchen, they would run back, it's not available. By the end of 10 days, I thought, how difficult is it to get some apple pie? We've asked for this every day for three meals a day. You see, it'll be great faith that takes us from what our reality right now into what we see Jesus doing in this book. Let's not be people that settle by what's going on around us. Let's be people that line up our life and our church with what Jesus has shown us, which is available in this book. Let's be people of increasing faith. Let's be people of great faith. Let's be people that, that, that rise to the occasion and actually believe that anything is possible with God. You know, when the disciples had spent all this time with Jesus, seen everything they could ever see, they said one thing, they said increase our faith. So this morning as we sing this song, we're going to sing yes and amen, all his promises. I want you to recount the promises over your life, over our church, and I want you to speak it out. I want to encourage you to allow your faith to arise as we declare this this morning, Amen.